0: I have the um, pleasure of opening God's Word to us this evening, and so I'm going to be spending the next 20-ish minutes um, with you, and my goal this evening is to show you Christ, to show you two criminals, to show you yourself, and then to show you Christ again. And so to do that, um, we are going to read, it's on page 9 of your worship booklet, I will read, you follow along, Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, Verses 32 through 46. So follow along as I read and as the Lord addresses us this Good Friday. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his left and one on his right, one on his left, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. This is the word of the Lord. Elizabeth Barrett. What had eventually become Elizabeth Barrett Browning, was an English poet during the Victorian era. She lived most of the 19th century, from 1806 to 1861. She was the eldest of 11 children and a Christian. She actually began writing poetry at the age of 11 and was published shortly after. What would you do with your childhood? Um, At the age of 15, she would become ill and battle the rest of her life. With, with pain, head and spine pain. Many believe that it was, uh, had to do with falling from a horse, but she would live many, of, uh, many years in, in pain and frail health. Elizabeth Barrett's writing eventually attracted the attention of another writer named Robert Browning. They fell in love. Their courtship and eventual marriage, however, was deeply disapproved of by daddy, by Elizabeth's father. They continued forward, though, and following their wedding, Elizabeth was disinherited by her father, completely cut off, entirely disowned. And Robert and Elizabeth moved away to Italy where they would live the remainder of her life. What's tragic is not just that that happened. What's tragic is how often Elizabeth Barrett Browning pursued her father for reconciliation. She wrote and wrote and wrote. I'm guessing just to get back on cordial terms, talking, she wrote and wrote and wrote, desiring to be reconciled to her father. Then, one day, she received a package. The day had come. The day of reconciliation. A package from her father arrived in the mail, and this is what she, would ho- she was hoping for. This is what she was praying for. Reconciliation has come. The day in which we come back together, we are united again as father and daughter. She opened the box and was discouraged because she found every letter she ever wrote unopened. Never reconciled. That story, I think, tugs on us, strikes at our feels, as you can see, at least my feels, maybe I'm the only one in here, because it's getting at our longing to be made right, to be reconciled. That, that, that is in us, if we're being honest. It, in our experience, though, it's a, it's a desire to be reconciled to a different Father, our Heavenly Father. Now, the story of Elizabeth Barrett Browning is not like ours in at least two ways. One, how much she pursued her dad. That's not like our story with our Heavenly Father. We weren't the ones writing and writing and writing, oh, I really want to be made right with my God who I've rebelled against. It's not your story. It's not my story. We were running the, the other way, fleeing. The story of Elizabeth Barrett Browning is also not exactly like ours because we have a Heavenly Father, our God, who is about reconciliation? It's his idea. He's a big fan, and he has gone to great lengths to reconcile you to him. He's gone to great lengths, and that great length that he has gone to rescue and save and and reconcile us is what I want to look at with our remaining moments together. Um, as Ben mentioned uh, in the call to worship, there is a temptation, especially with pastors, to try to get creative, and uh, we know that Good Friday's coming every year, we've got to say something different, or, or get exciting, or, or it'll become rote, but the beauty of the gospel, actually, is that if, it, if, if it, it's like a diamond, it becomes beautiful as we look at it from all different angles. And the more we look at it, the more we we view this diamond, the more we actually see how beautiful it really is. And so I'm just going to take one angle. Uh, if you couldn't tell where I'm coming from this, this evening, we're going to look at reconciliation. And so if I had to, to, to boil it down to one thing this evening, I want us to see that through the death of Christ, believing sinners are reconciled to God. That's it. That's what I want you to see, that through the death of Christ, what we're remembering here, Good Friday, is believing sinners are reconciled to God. What I mean by that, if I just dissected that sentence, that through the death of Christ, what we're speaking of is the actual, historical, physical death of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, King of the universe, who died in space and time on a Roman cross at the hands of rebellious and wicked religious leaders. Through that death, Believing sinners. I'm going to try to make our application at the end from that statement. Believing sinners. But it's talking about the idea of we have to choose which criminal we're going to be in our story. The one who rails at Jesus or the one who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's, that's the, the options before us. There is something to believe. There is something to get our lives around. Believing sinners. Believing sinners can be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is the bringing together of two estranged parties. Okay, so it's the the bringing together of two parties or two people that are at odds, not on good terms, alienated, separated. And one of the the beautiful truths of Good Friday is that in the death of Jesus, we see the death of our separation from God. Or as one really nerdy... um, original languages, dictionary, lexicon, defines reconciliation this way. It's the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. Once enemies, now friends. So to explore this, I want to just look at verses 39 through 43 there, the, the two criminals. Okay, look at, look, at, look at criminal one. We see him, he comes up pretty quickly. One of the criminals were hanged, railed at him. Very likely, dying like he lived. Angry, railing at the Lord. Specifically, if you have a paper Bible, at the bottom it's probably telling you, um, there's a footnote that says, literally, he blasphemed Jesus. Teeth gritted, railing. Save us. This man, like all three of them, are uh, in a lot of pain. Okay? Utterly helpless, seemingly struggling with every breath hoping the pain would go away. And in that moment, railing at Jesus, who came to die for sinners, angry. If you were actually the Christ, if you were actually the King, the Messiah, why wouldn't you save us? Can't you do that? I've been using a devotional for this Lent season leading up to Good Friday and Easter by a a Presbyterian Scottish minister named Sinclair Ferguson. And he has this to say about this criminal, criminal one. Perhaps this response is understandable, Ferguson writes. We know that the law never works grace. Punishment doesn't make us love. In and of itself, it may produce regret, but it cannot produce repentance. There was no hope of forgiveness here, nor any desire for it. No sorrow, no repentance, only more anger. The problem with this first criminal, Criminal One, is that he didn't see the hope that Jesus was offering. He was receiving punishment that he deserved, and that actually just drove him to more anger because he couldn't see the life that was being offered, the paradise life being opened to him by Jesus. I can't help but wonder, in a room this size, if there aren't some of us in this room struggling with that, an Anger. And anger targeted at the Lord. If you are really the king, couldn't you change my situation? If you are really the Christ, where are you? Teeth gritted, railing at the Lord. I think the problem with Criminal One, and, and my hope for you this evening, if that is you, is to actually see a little bit more of yourself, and then look to Jesus and see him. To see the hope of forgiveness there, and the reconciliation that Jesus offers. That he got our punishment so we don't have to be punished. Criminal two, we see he's a little different. He not only rebukes the other criminal, but he seems to have somewhat of a soft heart for the Lord. We're not exactly sure how much he understood, but what we do know is he's receiving the same punishment, he's in the same pain, the same longing for that suffering to go away, but he seems to see Jesus a little better, a little more clearly. And I also think he sees himself more clearly. Look at, look at verse 41, this criminal. Criminal 2, he knows his guilt. Verse 41 says, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. We deserve this. He sees himself. And he goes on, though. He, not, he acknowledges the, the innocence of Jesus. Also in verse 41, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Sees himself. Sees Jesus for who he is. And seemingly goes a step further. He he seeks mercy. Look at verse 42. Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Remember me. He needs mercy. He needs help. He can't do it himself. Remember me. And I think... There's a a little way, and then I think he goes on a step further, not only seeking mercy, he acknowledges Jesus as a king. Look Look at the phrase right after that. Jesus, not only remember me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who has kingdoms? Kings. Remember me, King Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And our Savior, our friend Jesus, on that cross, in the same pain that these men are experiencing, offers hope. Gospel hope. Verse 43, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise literally means garden. It's a nod back to creation. Today you'll be with me in the place where sin is no more. Crying and tears and pain and suffering is, is gone. You will be with me in paradise. Something has happened. Some sort of transformation has happened. Now, we've looked at these two criminals, but the question still remains, why do we need reconciliation? Maybe we weren't thieves and murderers like these guys might have been. We're not exactly sure. I think the answer, why, why do we need reconciliation? Why is that the theme of, of my, my sermonette this evening? It's because we're actually not that different from the criminals. We may look a little more put together than they are, but we're not that different. We need to be reconciled to God because we too are alienated and separated without Jesus. Let me read these couple verses from Romans chapter 5. I want you to to hear. This is the state we were in. Verse 9 through 11 of Romans chapter 5. Since therefore, Paul writes, We have now been justified by Jesus' blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And here's what I want you to hear. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Why reconciliation? Because we're sinners. I think, to use Roger's words from earlier, the most empirically verifiable thing is that we're messed up. We're rebels. We are sinful. But it's not just that. What did, what did the sin that we committed do? It made us enemies, enemies of God, at war with him because we chose to be. We turned. We rebelled. We said No. We disbelieved the word of the Lord and said, we want to be our own little G gods. So what we see at the cross on Good Friday, what we're remembering this evening is that our rebellion, our sin was placed on Jesus. He became, as we just saying, the sinner that we are and he died for us, dying the death we deserved so that in return we could have life. That's what the Good Friday is kind of weird. This is... I don't think I've preached a Good Friday sermon before, because it's like, I'm wanting us to embody somber, but joy. Sadness, because of the darkness and the pain that Jesus went through, but also gladness. Jesus gives us goodness and perfection and righteousness. He's made it ours as a gift, and he has made God and mankind friends again. He was made sin so we could be righteous. He was made an orphan so we could be sons and daughters. Jesus was made an enemy so we could be the friends of God. He was made an outcast so we could be accepted. He was alienated so we could be reconciled. So, what do we, what do, we do with this? What do we do with this? Um, as a, a parent of little kiddos, the why question is basically most of my life, right? Do this. Why? Well, I said do it. Well, why? Well, because we need to do this. Why? 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 So what has Jesus accomplished for us? Our reconciliation. Why? Because we were separated from God, enemies of God, at war with God. Why? Because of our sin and rebellion. We said no. We want to be God. The good news of Good Friday is that we have a Jesus who is a complete Savior. A complete Savior. That is that he saves completely. He saves criminals on their deathbed, their death cross. And the decent ones. Jesus saves the young and old. All professions, all types, all people groups, all colors. He's a complete Savior. Also meaning that the reconciliation he's earned for you, friend, is unbreakable. All those who come to Jesus, he will never cast out. He is a complete Savior, regardless of how we sin. Regardless of what sin patterns you might have as opposed to others, Jesus died for it all. So a little bit of the, we've seen Jesus, I've shown you criminals, a little bit more I want to lean into and showing you yourself is that Jesus is a complete Savior. He has died for all of our sin, past, present, and future. But I want us to see a little bit of the depths of our heart. Jesus didn't just die for our bad stuff. Our disobedience and sin, as the old children's catechism says. What is sin? Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. He did die for all the bad things we've done, when we've rebelled against the Lord. But he's also died for our perceived goodness, our self-righteousness. All the times we've thought, like, well, Jesus saved me, but now I can do it the rest of the way. He died for our goodness. You get what I'm saying? I think sometimes our, our sinful our sinful disobedience is a little easier, our rebellion. It's easier to see, right? Our lust, our anger, our disrespect, the failure to love God and to love neighbor. Our covetousness, our selfish attitudes, the way in which we worship false idols of this world, money, control, power, pleasure, maybe acceptance, maybe that's your, your God. Those are easier to see to some degree. But... Jesus also died for all the ways in which we think that we're good and don't need him. That's where it gets a little trickier when we think about the way we can resist the gospel by our own moral uprightness, our own perceived goodness, which was, if you remember, if you've been reading the gospels, you know that's the problem of the Pharisees. If you're not sick, you don't need a physician. If you're pretty good, you don't need help. If you're well, you don't need rescue. The problem is Jesus looks at that type of, of, of sin and says, it's a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but you're still just as dead on the inside. If we're seeking approval or justification by our own uprightness, we're actually just as sick. We've just convinced ourselves that we're pretty good. I feel that. Likely, that's the person that will struggle seeing the beauty of the gospel and their need for Christ even more. And speaking of this this topic, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees of Jesus' day who resisted Jesus and resisted the kingdom, Pastor Dane Ortland in the Chicagoland area writes this in his brand new book, quote, They thought the only alternative to being bad was being good, failing to see that being good can be just as empty of the gospel as being bad. They thought there was one way to reject God when in fact there are two. Hard-hearted disobedience and hard-hearted obedience. But we have a complete Savior. I'm hoping to step on everybody's toes, but then to show us Jesus. I want us to see our need first. If we don't see our sin, our need, our brokenness, and our rebellion, Jesus is not going to taste sweet. He died for our, what what did he say, hard-hearted disobedience. See it. I see it all over me. But he also died for my hard-hearted obedience. My goodness, my uprightness. The gospel reminds us, Good Friday reminds us that that Jesus is after failures who rightly see themselves and then rightly see him because failures are the ones who are open to help, who open themselves up to assistance, to a savior. Those who think that they're pretty good and they've made an awesome working of their life, upright, I've got this, always invariably turn in on ourselves Actually, Dane Ortlund uh, goes on in that same section to say, penitent hookers enter heaven ahead of smug virgins. Failures recognize their need. I can't do this, Jesus. I need you. I need somebody else. I need a savior. So what? I just want to conclude by, by taking us back to Jesus and showing you Jesus one more time. What's the big deal? Well, we're called, and why I kind of highlighted the two criminals, is that Good Friday is a reminder to us that Jesus died in the place of ruined sinners. That's you and me. But he calls for a response. Which criminal are we going to be? The one on the right? The one on the left? What is our response to the good news? That we needed saving because we're sinners, and Jesus has provided an abundant salvation. He's opened paradise to us. Timothy Keller is so helpful on this, uh, talking about, you know, our decision for Christ. He he says, quote, Jesus can only be one of the following, Lord, lunatic, liar, or a legend. Those are the only four possibilities. And so, friends, I hold out to you Jesus and ask you, what is it going to be? Is he Lord? Is he a lunatic who was justly killed for being crazy? Is he a liar? You make this up? Or is he a legend? Not like a cool legend. Like, oh, wow, what a legend. No, myth legend. Good news is Jesus has come to me, all who are weary, tired, heavy laden. The kingdom of God, Jesus, a relationship with Jesus and, and being reconciled to God, there's only one thing that qualifies you it's knowing that you don't qualify. But there's also one thing that disqualifies you, thinking you do. Jesus is a complete Savior who died for all the times that we thought we did qualify. Maybe that was even you today. But he died for all of the times, too, that you sinned and rebelled against him. So my plea to you to close is to say, be reconciled to God. If you do not know Jesus in this room, the good news of of Good Friday is Jesus' invitation to come. Be reconciled. Let my blood cover you. Let my death be the death you deserve so you can be a friend of God. And to my, my friends, my, my, my believing brothers and sisters in this room, my prayer and my hope and invitation to you is to delight afresh in Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. The, the somber heart of Good Friday is that he did die. It took the death of God the Son on the cross to make us right. The good news is that, and this is where the joy comes in, is because of Good Friday, because of Jesus, if you are in him by faith, you are actually liked and loved by God. The creator of the universe looks at you and says, I take pleasure in you. I like you. I approve of you. I love you. And that frees us from living for the acceptance and approval of everyone else. So my my hope and encouragement to you, brother, sisters, be free. Live in light of that good news. Jesus got what you deserved. He's a complete Savior. He's not letting you go. So go be free and breathe in afresh the reconciliation that we have in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Let me pray for us. And as I do, I'll invite the music team back up. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the cross, Jesus, where you went through, truly, pain that I cannot imagine and experience for me. And not just the nails in your hands, not just the nails in your feet and the sword in your side, the spear through your side, but also the just wrath of the triune God the just punishment that my sins, our sins, deserved. And you did that for me. Thank you, Jesus, for making a room full of rebels and enemies, your friends, and inviting us and giving us a seat at your table. Let us respond appropriately in song as we we lift up your praises. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name, amen. I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet as we conclude our time together with two songs.